Good morning, church. My name is Jordan, part of the staff team here. Uh, it's my joy to be able to open God's word with you and just celebrate Jesus this morning. We're continuing in our series in Colossians. So if you want to grab your Bibles, open to Colossians 1. We're going to start reading there in, in, in a few minutes. So um, before we do, um, as you guys are getting settled in, I got a question for you gentlemen in the room. Um, how is your hair doing during quarantine? Um, for the past like two or three weeks, I've been trying really hard to like just comb it and make it look semi-normal. Um, and, and I'm done with it because I just can't do anything with it anymore. So I've given up and uh, I'm growing it out. I don't know if you can see it really well or not. And um, it's actually got to a point, it's longer than probably I've ever had it in my life. And so um, I, I want your feedback. Like if I could do a ponytail and just kind of put it back in a ponytail, keep growing it out, uh, would you appreciate that or not? Let me know one way or another. I would love to, to just get your feedback on that. So the most votes win. So am I growing it out or am I cutting it as soon as possible? Love to just hear from you guys. All right, before this gets way out of control, uh, let's just go ahead and pray. We'll dive on in to, to what we have for us today. God, thank you so much for the ability to be together, even in this unconventional way. I just ask that you would show up that you would be with my words and my mind. Got a lot going on internally right now, and I just need peace and I need clarity. And God, help me to just speak from my heart as well as what you've given me today. I pray that these words don't fall on deaf ears, that you would just give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning and encourage us with just your beauty, Jesus, because that's what we're going to see and hopefully see it really clearly. We love you so much. Please, please be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, as we get started, I got a question for you. Have you ever been so excited about something that you couldn't sleep? I mean, maybe it was like a sports game. You were made it to the playoffs whenever you were kids, and, and you were just so excited about getting to that one exciting game. Maybe it's the first day of school because you were excited to see who was in your class and who you got to sit next to, what cute girl or cute guy was there. Um, if not that, then maybe it was a vacation that was planned that was so exciting and it couldn't get here quick enough. You know, you have those moments where you're just so excited about something that you just can't fall asleep at night. Um, our brains are just going and going and going. We know that if we just close our eyes and we can just go to sleep, that the excitement would come a lot quicker. But uh, for some reason, we just can't. Our brain is just going so fast that, that we, we can't actually put ourselves to sleep and we're just driving ourselves nuts. Such a dilemma, right? <laughs> uh, it happens to kids. It happens to adults. And uh, one of these times most recently with me was on a vacation that me and my family took. So my wife and I, a few years ago, planned a Disney cruise vacation for me and my kids. Yeah, we planned the vacation for me and the kids, but it was also a really big treat for me. I've never been on a cruise before, always wanted to go on a cruise. My wife had been on one other and she talked about it, how you prepay for all the food and that you could just eat as much as you want. You get to see these cool destinations. The experiences on the boat are so much fun and I just couldn't wait to get on to this boat. And it was just one of these moments where I just got so excited. I didn't think the day would ever come and I felt kind of embarrassed feeling that way. What you need to know about me and my family is we're not Disney people. I might go as far as to say that we might even be 
anti-Disney. Uh, I might have just lost a few friends in saying that. You know, before we did this cruise, we actually went to Disneyland a couple years before that. And, um, and I'm just gonna be honest, we didn't feel the magic at Disneyland. We waited in long lines to, uh, to ride rides that weren't very exciting. Um, we didn't grow up going to Disneyland, so I just couldn't get out of there quick enough. My family would much rather go in the thrill rides of like a Six Flags and a Magic Mountain and let's go do something fun that's gonna make me scream and lose my, my, my voice. So that's the kind of things that, that, that we enjoy. But I'm gonna admit, there was something very magical and very special about this Disney cruise. Um, I'll never forget when we were driving up around a corner where we could see the boat, I was just like a kid in a candy shop. I was looking in the distance, just, just trying to get a glimpse of the boat. When I saw it, I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it is actually here. We got out of the car, we started walking towards the boat. And after we went through all of the security stuff and we started walking up to the boat right before we entered, I remember stopping and being so amazed and so concerned as well. Because uh, I was just so amazed because this boat is just so huge. The boat is so amazing and it, it was so beautiful. It blew my mind. I'm like, I cannot believe that something like this actually exists. I, it might sound like I'm exaggerating this story. I, I'm not, ask my, my wife. Um, I was also confused and uh, thrown back because, man, this boat was huge. I can't even describe how tall it was. And it went deep into the water and it was so long, so wide. How in the world can something like that stay in the water? And more or less, like not just how, how does it stay in the water, when wind comes, how does it not blow over? Because the thing is just so massive. So I, I have this feeling of awe, but I also have this feeling of confusion. I'll also never forget like the next steps. Whenever we actually get into the boat, this is where, this is where Disney got me. So we walked into the boat, we were on the main level, and we saw this dual staircase that wrapped around going up to the next level. In very Disney-like fashion, there was so much intricate artwork and beauty and just the way they made that atrium look. I was just, I was in wonder. And I was in amazement walking around the boat, seeing all the movie rooms, seeing the dining rooms, seeing all the extracurricular rooms, being able to go to the top deck and be able to see the pools that they have and the slides and the this and the that. And we hadn't even gotten to the rooms yet. Well, there's nothing to write home right, uh, about the rooms. They're nothing special. They're kind of small. But all of that stuff and they fit the rooms in there, it, it, it was really something else. Just such wonder and in such amazement. Also never forget on that same vacation, that same trip, uh, we were spending a day at sea in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico and a giant storm hit. Um, I'll, I'll never forget, uh, I think it was a big deal because not only were the guests seasick because the boat was moving so much, half of the crew went down too. I remember going to lunch and uh, there was barely any people in the lunchroom because a lot of people were down sick and one of the staff members told us how many staff members were down sick too. And I was like, man, this can't be normal because these people live on the water, right? Um, 
I was actually doubting how this thing was going to really survive. And I had tons of questions about what what would happen if, and I don't know if I can trust this, if, if the crew is going down, who's to say this boat's not going down like the Titanic? Uh, it's crazy how you feel in those moments. Spoiler alert, my wife and I survived, the kids survived, we're here, we're still here today. <laughs> uh, last, lastly, just one other story about this. Um, I'll never forget being at a port in the Bahamas and getting off the ship and um, on this giant dock there are other cruise ships that are lined up next to us and those cruise ships looked nothing like the cruise ship we were on and I remember being filled with pride thinking that every single person getting off those other boats were jealous of me because I was on the Disney cruise boat. Um, <laughs> silly, right? This vacation did not disappoint me. Disney sold me. I was filled with awe and confusion. I was filled with wonder and amazement. I was filled with deep questions as well as doubting. I was also full with so much pride. This passage we're about to dive into in Colossians, it, 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 it leads us, and I hope it leads us to that same kind of experience as we take a deep look into who Jesus is. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 and look at the supremacy of Jesus. So we'll read it. Um, we'll give a little bit of background. We'll unpack some of it, and we'll just see where God takes us this morning. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And for Jesus, and sorry, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and throughout him, I'm oh, sorry, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of the cross. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's intentionally using this extreme language to capture the attention of the audience. I really believe it, it's, it's meant, Paul is trying to, to lead us in awe and confusion, in amazement, but also questioning and even doubting if what we're reading can be real or not. He's leading us to see so much pride in who Jesus is. I think all of these things we can experience as we see what Paul is saying to this church in Corinth. If you're like me, you've read these passages, this passage of Scripture lots of times, and it's really easy to just skim over it, right, and read it pretty quickly. But let's take a, a few minutes to just sit in it and understand what Paul is trying to say. 
And I think to understand the deepest impact of this, we need to understand who Paul is speaking to. So this, the people of Colossae, um, this is a new church, new believers who, uh, who haven't been a part of the church very long, a first generation, if you will. Um, what we do know is that these people are sold out on Jesus. They're not half-hearted Christians. They're not trying to figure Jesus out. I mean, we see right there in the first verses that Paul calls them, um, what, what, does he, what does he say to them? That they're the saints in the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That's who these people are. But not that long ago, they lived in, a, in an area, a, a pagan area, if you will, that didn't believe in Jesus at all before the church was born, before Christ was preached and proclaimed. Um, they lived under an old God's system, a lot like Greek mythology. I know that Greece had a, um, a huge influence in this part of the world. So I can imagine that that is, is the types of gods that the culture of this area really believed in. A few weeks ago, I started a, uh, an Amazon Prime series called Vikings. It's been around for a long time. Uh, I wouldn't say it's appropriate for children, but, um, but a really good series. Uh, I'm only about halfway through it, but I just, I, I love this era. I love um, wielding swords and be able to do hand-to-hand -hand combat. I love castles. I love just all of that um, Part of me wishes that I lived in that time frame, but I also know that if I did, I'd probably be the first one to die. But uh, anyway, uh, that kind of gets me off, off the, the point. A part of this show, there's a storyline of how Christianity was induced into this Viking culture that worshiped Odin and Thor and all the other Avengers. I'm just kidding, not really the Avengers because Iron Man wasn't worshiped by the Vikings, but okay. All right, all joking aside, um, it's fascinating how this entire culture, this entire Viking culture that worshiped the old gods um, and, and how they, how they worshiped and sacrificed and they prayed towards these old gods. And when Christianity came in and this new Christ God was introduced, you see in the show the turmoil that happens between everything that they knew and everything that they worshiped to be true and how Jesus threw everything everything for a loop and you're just seeing this tear even halfway through this series. That was the people I can imagine in Colossae growing up, being a part of a culture that has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus is introduced and then there's this wrestle and turmoil that, that what do we do with this? Is Jesus just part of um, the God system? He's just another God to add in to what we already believe? Or is he something so much different? And I don't think the Apostle Paul leaves anything undone here. As in the verses we just read, he makes it really clear who Jesus is. So as we continue on, we're going to look at the supremacy of Jesus. All right. In the first verse, we're going to look in uh, again, um, Colossians 1, 15. What I want us to be able to see is that Jesus is God. He says, for by him, um, sorry, he says, he is the, in, the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. Paul is setting the stage here. Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is not just 
a good man. Jesus is God. He's not part of the God's system. He is the one and only God. He is separate from everything that you knew. And he is supreme and he is amazing and he is absolutely beautiful. The gods that are invisible that you may know has become visible through Jesus and everything that Jesus said and spoke about himself, he made it extremely clear and known that there is only one true God. And yes, Jesus is this God. When verse 15 says that um, he was the firstborn of all creation. There are many people who want to try to take that to say that Jesus was created, that Jesus was uh, just another creation, like you and I were created by God. Um, that's not at all what this is saying here. When we understand the firstborn language, what we really see is uh, in the original Greek language, what this is really pointing to is priority. Jesus was not an order, birth order, the first one born, but Jesus was priority. It wasn't that someone was the first born in their family called the firstborn. It was the person who is to take over the inheritance, to be priority, to be the one in charge. And when scripture is calling Jesus the firstborn of all creation, they're looking at Jesus and saying, he is it. God numerous times in the Old Testament looked at Israel and called them the firstborn of God. But now we get to Jesus and someone else carries that title. It is no longer Israel. It's no longer the law. It's no longer the doing the right and the wrong. Now that title and that crown has been given to who Jesus is. Jesus is the firstborn among all creation. Jesus is God. All right, so not only do we see that Jesus is God, we also see that Jesus is the center of everything. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it says, For by him all things were created, both heaven and earth, and visible and invisible, kings and kingdoms. As the people in um, Coloss uh, the, the Colossian people, as they, as they heard this, and as they started to process this, they're seeing that there's no other God system that Jesus belongs to, but Jesus is the one who not only created, but it was created by him and for him. The things that we can't see and the things that we can, all the rulers and the powers and the authorities that we see, all the kings in the kingdoms of the nations that we can touch and that we serve, those people serve King Jesus. There is no other God system. Those things do not exist in the presence of God. All things were created by him and for him. Thirdly, what we see is that Jesus is the ultimate authority. Colossians 1, starting in verse 18, it says, He, Jesus, 
is the head of the body, the church. Of all ways that you may worship, Jesus is the head. There is no one else who can carry that title. Of the church that the church of Colossians is a part of, no one else is the head of that church other than Jesus. Timothy is not the head of that church. It is King Jesus who is the head. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. Again, extreme language, right? To grasp our attention, to make us stop and say, what? Like, what is that really all about? And what Paul is saying is that, um, is that Christ rules over the very one thing that every man fears. Every man, whether you admit it or not, every man fears death. Sin has brought death into our world and King Jesus has conquered it. He is the firstborn among the dead. He has taken priority among the dead. He has inherited that and it is no longer ours to carry, but he has conquered death so that we do not have to die. There is resurrection power in the name of who Jesus is. Jesus is the ultimate authority. And it continues, and he says that in everything, Jesus might be supreme. Supreme. Preeminent. Surpassing everything else. Again, imagining this system of gods and trying to put Jesus in the midst of these gods. And I'm sure the people in this church may be tempted to do that as well at from time to time, because this is the culture they lived in, or they feel the pressure from people who aren't a part of the church that they're in relationship with to just surrender themselves to what their culture has always taught them. But Paul says, Jesus is supreme. Nothing surpasses him. He is preeminent over everything. Jesus has ultimate authority. Now, lastly, what we see is Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Grasp this. Put your mind on this for a second. The Jesus that we just learned about the Jesus that is the one and only God. Put yourself in the seat of these Colossians, um, uh, people from Colossae. Jesus is the king and the only God in a system where you were taught and raised in a system where there's something so much more indifferent. Jesus is the only God. Jesus is the center of all of it. Jesus is the ultimate authority. There is nothing else. This is it, and you better not miss out on it. And this God, this God that you're learning about isn't distant and absent and in, in uninformed on who you are. More importantly, he is reconciling all things to himself. This is bigger in this moment of scripture. This is bigger than just you and me and people being reconciled to himself. 
Jesus is reconciling all creation to himself because everything was created by him and for him. It was always about him. There is no other. And Jesus is it. So, I had a question for you. Is there any doubt in the church in Colossae? Is there any doubt in their mind who Jesus is at this point? I'm going to argue, no. Absolutely not. Jesus separates himself from all other gods. There's awe and there's confusion. I mean, there, there's awe because you see this and you just can't believe that this can actually be true. It is one of those stories that is absolutely too good to be true that you just stand underneath and in the awe of, right? But there's also confusion. Nothing in this, it, it, nothing in this world is too good, right? L let me rephrase that. If it's too good to be true, then it's probably not true. So how in the world could this ever be something that's real? So we're in awe, but we're also extremely confused by this Jesus at times. But in the same breath, we are in wonder and amazement of who he is. But we still live in this world of just, man, this leads to so many questions. Like, how do you... I, how is Jesus God? How did he come to this? How was he resurrected? I, I don't, I don't understand this. I can't wrap my mind around this. That is absolutely where God wants us because if we could explain God away, then he is not God at all. So God welcomes these questions and doubts. Is this too good to be true? Maybe it's not real. God, show me what is real. And when we ask all these questions and we have this relationship with King Jesus and he speaks to our hearts and he reconciles us to, our, to himself and we know who we are in his presence and even in asking these questions, we are filled with so much pride. Just like me walking off that Disney cruise boat, looking at all those other pointless little ships on this side and just thinking, poor guys, they're not a part of the cool boat like I'm a part of. <laughs> as silly as that is to even say out loud, something in that connects to me. That that's exactly who we are in Jesus. We're not better than. But we should have pride. Not in ourselves that we've done anything great. Scripture tells us to boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's what the scripture is driving us to so clearly and so plainly. To boast in Jesus and Jesus alone because he is supreme in all of it. He is what it's all about. So I close with just this thought. What does this mean for us? It's cool to see this in the context of the 
Colossian church. Um, it's cool to know what they're thinking and experiencing, but how does that apply to me? We may not worship Thor or Odin or Loki or any of the other gods that may be out there. We may not struggle with that. But there are a ton of things that strive for our affection. There are a ton of things that want to pull us away from who Jesus is. And here's the truth and the reality. We allow those things into our hearts and we allow those things into our lives to become supreme when there is nothing else more supreme than Jesus. And this is where these next verses just ring so true in our hearts and lives. Knowing that about ourselves, that when we wake up in the mornings, our first thoughts aren't on the beauty of Jesus. We think about the busyness of our day. What do I need to do to be successful today? In these relationships that God has given us, the people that we love hurt us. And we tend to respond in a reactionary way to where we want to hurt them. It's not that we want to do, it's just something that we tend to do. We fight and we strive for success. We allow our weaknesses to define us and tell us who we are. And we crawl inside of our own skin because we don't feel like we're worthy enough because we are so weak. I mean, these are the types of things, and there are many, many more that creep into our lives that tell us who we are. When Jesus, in that moment, should be done with us because he is king and he is not weak. But instead of being done with us, he stands in the gap for us, which makes these next words so beautiful and so important. Paul's reminder in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are as a church. Once alienated from God. Once cast aside because our sin has separated us from God because our minds are hostile towards God's we do evil deeds but Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him this is the gospel of Jesus at the core. I love these words. They fit so real into who these people are when Paul wrote this to this church, but they fit so well for who we are because we once were alienated and God should have nothing to do with us. But Jesus in his love and in his redemption rescues us. And do you know that about yourself? And even in our relationship with Jesus, when we feel like, man, he should be done, 
with me. That's where we continue to hear that voice. You are holy and blameless in my sight. Not because of who you are, but because of what I've done for you. I am God. I am the center of everything. I am the ultimate authority. And I am reaching out and desiring to reconcile you back to myself. Church, my encouragement for us is that we don't listen to the lies that Satan wants to whisper to us. Let those things go and listen to the voice of Jesus today saying, You're mine. You're mine. He says it again. You're mine. And there's nothing that can take you away from me. Believe that in your core. No matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're going through. I don't want to minimize your pain and I don't want to minimize um, how you feel. But I do want to encourage you because Jesus' words are powerful and real. We, in our responsibility, just surrender to him. Let's surrender to him as we just continue worshiping. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and all your beauty and all your splendor. I pray that this gospel truth impacts us deep down at our core and that we can experience freedom from you, that freedom in you today. Lead us, God, to grace and to truth, to repentance and to freedom. May we worship you in spirit and truth. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.